Join with me in prayer. Let's pray and, and just bless the reading of God's word. We're going to jump into John 6, verse 41 to 59 this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, for how timeless it is. And it goes beyond all, all time. Lord, all cultures, all places, all peoples. And Lord, that through this word, you speak to us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you now calm us? Lord, make us open and ready and attentive to hear what you would have for each of us this week. And we thank you for this sermon that we'll read of Jesus this morning and what it means for our lives. We thank you that you've named yourself the bread of life. God, help us to digest what that means for each of us today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So, um, so you'll remember last week we jumped in the first part of Jesus' sermon. Now, I'm not sure how you preach a sermon on a sermon, but last week Jesus began the sermon as he declared himself the bread of life, and this morning now he expands on it for us to hear. And uh, so we're going to jump in chapter 6. We're going to read verses 41 all the way to 59. So let's, let's hear now God's word. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written, the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he passed into Capernaum. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. So if I were to ask you, what is the most unique food you've ever had, what would it be? Yuck. I like it. This is is going to be good for you, Beck. I'm going somewhere with this. Um, One sure way that we know that we live in a place of abundance is this phenomenon that we know called foodies. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? It's actually older than you think. The the word foodie was coined in 1985 to to describe this new movement of restaurant critics in New York. 
And the culture uh, that had emerged were these people who were pursuing all the best possible eats in their neighborhoods and then telling others about it. But here we are a decade later, and this concept has went from a fringe hobby to now a bona fide profession. Did you know you can make a six-figure living off of eating food and blogging about it? Isn't that crazy? Thank you, social media. Now, foodies have changed the game, right? It's no longer just a burger and fries. Now, today it's got to be the quinoa, black bean, arugula burger with a side of organic farm-to-table hash. You don't even have to leave your home to blog about this stuff. Nowadays, it comes to you with HelloFresh and Blue Apron, Grubhub, DoorDash. We are a people that is obsessed with food. Some would even say eating is a part of who we are. In fact, history tells us food has always been directly linked, somehow connected with our culture. Let me just give you a few of examples. Um, anyone ever heard of bird's nest soup? Look at this up on the screens. Bird's nest soup, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, in China, they call it the caviar of the East. These tiny birds called swiftlets, they spit out saliva to make this twig-like home for their young. And when you boil that nest, it apparently becomes a delicacy. So much so that one bowl of soup costs upwards of $100. Here's why the price is so steep. They say the only place to get these nests is up high on these steep cliffs of the coast with a, with a harness and rope. Or try this one. Here's another picture. How about Sinachi? Anybody ever had that one? This is seafood taken to a whole nother level. Sinachi is live octopus cut into pieces, served with sesame oil while it's still squirming on your plate. And here's the best part. The tentacles, they say, stick to your teeth while you're chewing. They call it a party in your mouth. I could go on with the fried tarantulas down in Cambodia, but I think you've had enough. No, but farm to table, local meats, organic veggies, whole foods, whole 30 diet. Food is directly tied to our culture, isn't it? Now that I got you thinking about lunch, let's talk about part two of Jesus' sermon. Remember, last week Christ has just been confronted by these crowds in Capernaum. They had watched this miracle of loaves and fish, and now they're back for more. And they bring Jesus this suggestion to perform a miracle, much like Moses, where he rained down food from the heavens to a starving people. And Jesus is all about this request, but his response is nothing like anyone saw coming. No, he said, as the Father brought down the manna from heaven, so I've been sent to you. And this is what we learned last week. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And here's my claim this morning. Jesus was the first foodie. He turned water into wine. He was the first to mass produce an incredible meal of fish and chips. He later perfected the art of a charcoal cooked breakfast on the beach with Peter and the disciples. Jesus loved food. This is the God we serve. Look at this in Isaiah 25, 6. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will one day make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of myro, of aged, well-refined wine. But today, the dish that Jesus is serving up is completely different than anything anybody's ever heard before. It's not only abnormal to this crowd, it's offensive. Look at this in verse 41. There's this all-out commotion going down in God's house, and here's why. 
So the Jews grumbled about him because he said to them, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus isn't just the foodie. Jesus is the food. That word grumble in the, in the Greek, um, it's not quite forceful enough. The, the Greek word means something like a raging complaint. Think about that grumbling customer uh, after their, their meal arrives cold and they want to speak to the manager. Jesus is standing in the synagogue in Capernaum and he's speaking to this faithful Jewish crowd, but what's coming from his mouth is anything but normal church speak. First, he's told this synagogue, I'm the bread that came from heaven, but here's the problem with that. Everybody knows Human beings don't typically fall from the skies, right? This was preposterous to his listeners. In fact, we heard them ask the question, wait, I thought he was born of Mary and Joseph. Second, and more importantly, he's now told this crowd that their church potlucks are about to change a bit. And here's where he turns the controversy up because he says, my body is now the meal that gives you life. Just try to hear that afresh for a minute. Just not like with Christianese in your mind, like hear it for the first time. Verse 51, if anyone eats of this bread that is my body, Jesus says he will live forever. That's not normal, right? Some would even say that sounds like cannibalism. In fact, that's exactly how the crowds took him. Look at this in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. You know, Jesus was never one to parse words, right? He was never one to make you feel comfortable in your seat. He didn't come to please people. No, he just pulled the pin on the theological grenade and threw it. And now this crowd, they're grumbling. They're searching and they're listening intently to his every word because what Jesus said was like nothing anyone had ever spoken before. So here's what I want to do today. Um, I want us to talk about this feast that Jesus speaks of, but to do so, you have to understand something about this moment. Jesus has now taken the most basic raw elements of food on this planet. And he's about to transform them into the linchpin of our faith. And with bread and wine, he now moves beyond all cultures, all time, because he knows that what we eat tells us far more than we think about who we are. So we're going to look at three lessons from part two of this sermon of Christ. And by the end of our time together, here's what we're going to learn about foodie culture in Jesus. Number one, let's put all these up on the screen if we could. The table of Christ is by invitation only. Number two, Once you're seated, there's only one thing on your menu. And number three, what you eat defines who you are. So let's just look at this first lesson from God's word this morning. The the dinner table is by invitation only. This is probably the most exciting, but also the most difficult part of our faith. Look at this in verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Let me just paraphrase that. Um, As Jesus looks out over this grumbling crowd, he says to them, guys, let's not fight. If the father doesn't draw you in, this isn't your table anyway. Think about that. These crowds are already confused about these claims of Christ to be God. The Jewish leaders are angry at him for this, this claim for him to be divine. And now Jesus tells them, unless the father draws you in, this isn't your party. You know, of all the topics I think I could preach on, this one is by far the most countercultural to our day. You know, we live in this day and age of inclusivity, right? That the philosophy of our moment in time is to include everyone and anyone at any cost. I've shared with you before how we know this, that the irony of my generation in particular, uh, we all got trophies, right? 
All you had to do was play the soccer game. Everyone won. But here's the hard reality. The statement of Jesus is just as off-putting as it was then. No one comes to the table unless the Father draws them. We're going to learn next week that even the disciples at the end of this sermon, they, they said to one another, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But hear me out. This invitation only kind of a table. This is actually good news, and here's why. There is not one of us in this room who is good enough or righteous enough or holy enough to sit at that table. And here's the point I want to make this morning. Tell me what you think. It, it wasn't your friend that led you to the Lord. It wasn't your neighbor or your Sunday school teacher. It wasn't your spouse or your, your college roommate. It wasn't your pastor even or your mentor. It certainly wasn't chance or happenstance. Now, if you found yourself eating at the table and eating the bread and drinking the cup of salvation, you can guarantee it was the Lord that was doing that work in your life. And whoever brought you to the feet of Jesus was just a conduit of that grace. Now, just soak that up for a minute. If you really think about that and you let that settle inside of you, we will never look at life the same again, right? Like, how is it that this almighty God in his mercy and in his love draws us back to the table that we ran away from in our sin? I think it's one of the most comforting, but also the most difficult doctrines of our faith, right? Because it tells us that while everyone was meant for this table, not everyone will come. In fact, it seems to me Jesus is offering us a preview of why some follow him and some refuse. Next week, we're going to learn about the story of Judas. A professor was once sharing his testimony in a lecture to his colleagues at seminary. And after this gathering, another professor pulled him aside and he said, you know, I appreciate all that you said about what God did for you, but you didn't mention anything about your part in the relationship. He said, you know, it takes two to tango, right? The professor thought about it for a minute. He said, oh my goodness, you're right. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I should have mentioned that. He said, Here, here's what I wish I would have said. My part was running away my entire life. God's part was chasing after me despite my wandering. See, this is what grace is. Left apart of the Holy Spirit, left to our own devices and our own will, we would have never come to that table with Christ to begin with. The first thing we have to know from God's word this morning, the table of Jesus Christ is by invite only. Which brings me to my second point this morning, and that is this. Once you're seated, there's only one thing on the menu. Now, here's where we have to listen really carefully because uh, first we read of this teaching of Jesus, and if we're honest, it sounds crazy. Again, let's pull up verse 53 up on the screens. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, in other words, hey, I mean business. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Really, just read through those words again on the screen. Jesus said, what? In second century Rome, those outside the faith, they, they heard of this concept of feasting on the body and, and they began persecuting Christians out of rumor and misunderstanding that, that, that Christians were actually cannibals. We have to be careful with this one. And let, me, let me get my point across here. Sometimes when I'm playing with my three-year-old Addie, um, almost four here, we play this game called What's for Dinner? And out of nowhere, I'll say to Addie, I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. And Addie will start to giggle because she knows what's coming. And she says to me, Daddy, what are you hungry for? She says, I hope it's not what, you, what I'm thinking. 
And I said, oh, no, it's, it's exactly what you're thinking. I said, I'm hungry for an Addie Grace. And then I chase her all over the house going, nom, 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 as she runs for mom. Now, as I share that story, no one listens to that, though, and thinks Ryan's crazy, right? We listen to that and we think, man, he loves his daughter. D.A. Carson said it, it was like this. He said, it'd be like a grandparent singing to their, child, child, their grandchild, you are so precious, I could just eat you up. See, Jesus clearly doesn't mean that we literally eat his body and drinking his blood. He, he's making a direct correlation back to the first part of his sermon. Remember, this entire thing started with the miracle of loaves and fish. But now Jesus wants this crowd to know that just as food nourishes your body, so do I nourish your soul. Look at this. Jesus almost says the exact same thing twice in his sermon. Stay with me here. Look at this in verse 40. For this is the will of the Father, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him would have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. If you believe in believing, Jesus will raise you up. Now look at how Jesus says the exact same thing, but he replaces it with flesh and blood. Look at this in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh, Jesus says, and drink of my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It's almost the exact same statement. One is about belief. The other is about the table. So let me land the plane. I'm getting nerdy. Here's what I'm trying to say. What you eat defines who you are. That's our third point this morning. What you eat defines who you are. St. Augustine once said it like this a little differently. He said, cred et manducasti. It means believe and you will have eaten. When we take that bread of Christ and we drink of the cup together, as we did last Sunday, in that act, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. What we eat matters. And this is not a hard concept to grasp, right? This one is not countercultural. This is right in line with the mantra of our day. Never have we seen such a food-conscious, nutrition-obsessed generation. In fact, my grandparents, they used to laugh about this concept of farm-to-table I remember my grandpa, um, he, was a, he was an Iowa boy growing up, and he would just shake his head at this. He'd say, where do people think food comes from? But now we talk about this concept as food to table, right, as though it's, it's some new trend nobody's ever thought of before. We're obsessed with what we eat because we know that what we eat has an influence on how we live. Let me give you a good example. Um, the park rangers of the Grand Canyon experienced this firsthand a few years ago. The mule deer in the park, they discovered junk food left over from the visitors, and they got hooked on it. The sugar and the salt, they said, from the chips and candy was literally killing the herd. They were so addicted, they had quit eating the food of their habitat entirely, and instead they would wait for the visitors to get the good stuff. One park ranger called it, and I kid you not, the crack cocaine of the deer world. See, if it matters to our physical health, then then how much more should we feast on the one who gives us eternity? Are you getting the metaphor? I once heard it said the reason that we come to church every week and sit under the word of God is the same reason why we come to dinner every night. You might not remember a thing that you ate last Thursday or two weeks before that, but if you would have skipped all of those meals, you would have certainly felt the malnourishment over time. Same goes with our faith. You might not have a clue or remember a word spoken at that life group weeks ago or what song you sang in worship last month. You might not remember a word I said last Sunday. 
What matters, though, is that you eat. Look at this in verse 49. Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, certainly, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. It's one of the reasons that we take communion as a part of our worship every Sunday. And I lament that we should be taking it this morning, right? Because what we eat declares something significant about who we believe in. The reason that we change our diet is that without good nutrition, we will never find good health. It's the same concept with Christ. We live in a world that is spiritually and mentally destitute. We know this. And we desperately try to fill that gap with all sorts of temporary solutions. But unless we put our faith in him, it's all just junk food. I've always found it fascinating, amazing, incredible that Jesus didn't just take some abstract, abnormal food like a bird's nest for us to worship him. He took the most common element that goes beyond all cultures, some sort of bread and something from the vine. And he transformed that food so the world would taste and see in his goodness. So three things to consider as you head out for lunch today. If you find sinachi or bird soup, you win the prize. The table of Christ is by invitation only. Once you're seated, there's only one thing on the menu because what you eat says something significant about who you are. Pray with me. God, life is food. You have given us an abundance where we can walk into the grocery store and with the light shining on the fruits and vegetables, Lord, we get our pick. God, we thank you for that abundance. We don't take it for granted. And Lord, I just ask that every time that we, we pick up of breakfast or lunch or dinner, Lord, that we would remember your goodness to us. That all of that food is just temporary and it passes away, but you give us life eternal. Lord, we pray, would you make us a people who live into that bread, Lord, that as we feast on your flesh and we drink of your cup, God, that we would go out into a world and we would find those who, who are malnourished, malnourished physically, malnourished spiritually, Lord, and that we would be the gospel that brings them to you. Lord, not because of our works, but because of what the Father does through us by the Holy Spirit. God, we pray today and every day, would you lead us onward, that every time we take a bite, we would taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.